welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on our Neanderthal mind. We dive deep into why what our Neanderthal ancestors did to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock millions of years. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. Welcome back to the Neanderthal Mind, cave dwellers, and welcome to the second part of my conversation with fellow podcaster Gabby LaPera. In this second part, we go into what her thesis with the marathon title, Exploring the Evolutionary Origins of Obesity Through the Endocrine Physical Activity Bone Axis. Phew, that's a lot of words for a title, but Gabby will explain. We go into her early years of adulthood and all the pretty cool experiences she had and all the well-known influencers that helped Gabby mold into the person she is now. We talk about her evolutionary beliefs and her time in academia as an instructor. So, cave dwellers, you know what I'm going to say. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. See you on the flip side, cave dwellers. For your degree, exploring the evolutionary origins of obesity through the endocrine physical activity bone axis. Yes. That is a mouthful. Yes. I've never been good at titles to this day. It's funny because people pay me to be good at words and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to title it exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> so I got really interested in this idea of mismatch disease, which is the idea that our evolutionary environment doesn't match our modern environment. And as a result, we are adapted to an environment that no longer exists and we have health consequences because of that. So what I was looking at was how do how does physical activity interact with hormones that are released by bones during physical activity and metabolic regulation? And I know that that perhaps does not make it any less opaque. So <laughs> I will break it down a little bit more. When you the way that you can move things in your body is that your muscles are attached to your bones and it acts as your bones essentially act as a lever that your muscles can pull against to move your limbs through space. And depending on how you do that, the bones can be pulled on more or less. And the more they're pulled on, the more they will do this thing that's called remodel. So every time they get pulled on a little bit, they start to secrete a little bit more bone to become stronger so that they can withstand more forces. This is why they tell little old ladies who have osteoporosis that it's really important to weight lift because it strains the bone, but not so much that it actually breaks, but it helps tell the bone like, Hey, don't forget, like you need to build up and be strong. Um, and this is very adaptive, right? Like the more you do an activity, the more those bones will be strengthened. So if you do bicep curls with just your right arm for like a year, like those bones are going to be stronger than your left arm bones, which is pretty cool if you think about it. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And that's also like why, for example, astronauts, when they go into space, that's why they get so much bone degradation while they're in space because they have no forces acting on their bones because they're weightless. They're just floating through space. So yes. So anyway, when this happens, when your body is secreting this bony matrix and like it's being told like, Hey, like you need to, you need to build more bone. 
other things are happening too. Your bones can actually release hormones. And what happens is there's a few different hormones involved. I don't know how deep into the weeds you want to get, but essentially those hormones, because they're the result of physical activity, they can actually affect your metabolism and your metabolic hormones. So the hormones like leptin and insulin, which tell your body how much sugar is around or how much fat is around, and they can all talk to each other. So the more, so there is evidence that the more physical activity that you do, the better regulated your metabolic hormones become. So one of these things that's, that you hear a lot in like the diet and exercise world is like abs are made in the kitchen. True. Sure. Like they're like physical exercise will only get you so far, right? Like if you're still eating like crap, like then you're not going to be like super Hulk ripped out, which I don't particularly want to be bad. That's neither here nor there. But, but the thing is that even though, yes, your abs are made in the kitchen or whatever it is, and like regulating what you're eating is going to make a bigger difference to weight loss, potentially physical activity can help you get your body into a place where your hormones, which is not something that's visible, are in a healthier place and they are responding to the food that you're eating in a better way. Like they're using it more efficiently. And even other things like hunger signals become more appropriately attuned because you're doing this physical activity. So for example, leptin is a hunger hormone and it is released by your fat cells. And the more fat cells you have, the more leptin you have. So in theory, the less hungry you are. But what can happen is that over time, if you have a lot of fat, like your brain and like your gut can become kind of deaf to the leptin signals. And so you you think you're hungry and you're not necessarily. And so being able to make your body better attuned to those signals is going to help benefit you ultimately. And especially for people who have difficulty with other metabolic diseases like diabetes, like physical activity can make a huge difference in terms of making their body be able to be a little bit more attuned to those signals. I don't know if that was a mess of an explanation, but that is... No, no, that's perfectly fine. I guess the question with that would be then, so do we, or, or did you explore why our bodies do that based on what happened in, in our evolution? Uh, yes. Did you explore? Okay. So, well, so what I actually did was I took, I did something that hadn't been done previous to that, but has probably been done since then, which is I found an extremely healthy population of people. So I found young people who exercised a certain amount each week and who had like really regulated diets. And then I took a ton of measurements on them of their hormone levels, their for so specific hormone levels like leptin, osteocalcin, insulin, and also their bone density. So to understand what their bone density looked like, because that also plays into it. And I created kind of a snapshot of like, in theory, these people match more what our evolutionary environment could have potentially looked like much more well-fed probably, but this is how it could look in humans who are kind of operating under more optimal conditions than kind of your average American. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that's that's actually what my thesis, that's like the the research that I did for my thesis. But then I also did like this gigantic lit review. I don't know, people are still looking at it. I get notifications every time someone downloads it and I'm like, it's been 
eight years. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, why are you still reading this? <laughs> well, just like with, uh, at least on the Neanderthal side of things, which kind of got me into it, is there seems to be a rise in interest in our uh, prehistoric evolution, I guess you can say. Uh, it mm-hmm. seems to be a lot more people getting uh, getting interested in it. So, yeah, I can definitely see that getting more and more. And, and I might have been one of those downloads as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I'll be like, that's Anthony. (laughs) No, so if you're really curious about mismatched diseases and you want to read a book that's much more eloquently put than what I just said, that my very garbled explanation, there's this book called The Story of the Human Body by Daniel Lieberman, who is a researcher at Harvard. And it is incredible. And I think he actually talks about Neanderthals in there as well. And it talks about all sorts of different things, right? Like not just metabolic diseases, but also like cancer, cardiac disease, fallen arches, lower back pain, wearing glasses, all these kinds of things. Like these are all things that could be the result of us not living in an environment that we're adapted to. It's really interesting. And and that's, yeah, it sounds like it would absolutely, really, it's word I'm looking for, but that's kind of what I wanted the Neanderthal mind to be about is what our Neanderthal ancestors did, how that caused us to evolve and then how we still hold on to some of those evolutions, I guess, in a sense, but now they're bad for us. <laughs> Whenever we created them or, or evolved into them back then, that's what they needed to do. But now our bodies almost in a sense reject it because we don't really need a lot of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I have definitely had a piece of cake for breakfast this morning. That is not, that is wildly bad. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I've seen that you as well, and it might have been maybe a few years ago, interned at the Smithsonian Institute Museum. That was for Doug Owsley, which was really fun. I got to do a lot of really cool things. Got to work on a lot of like bioarchaeology stuff, which was really, really cool. But I also got to like run around the Smithsonian by myself and like poke around and like look at things, which is maybe the best part. (laughs) It's like every child's dream to be able to do that huh? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if your child doesn't mind skeletons <laughs> and mummies <laughs> sure yes yeah awesome so that kind of helped solidify your interest I guess in anthropology I'd imagine yeah for sure it was definitely one of the most interesting times of my life sometimes I look back at like the first half of my life. And I was like, how was I so gosh darn interesting up until I was like 20? And then like the last decade, I just really got very boring. my! <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, United States Senate as well. To top all of that off, you worked for the United States Senate, huh? Yes. I interned for Senator Byrd of West Virginia, who was one of the longest standing senators in the Senate. And he was a very interesting character. He's actually a great example of someone who can change their mind. He was a Dixiecrat and he was like best friends with Strom Thurmond back in the day. And he opposed the Civil Rights Act in 1965. And he, over the course of his career, changed his mind. And he felt bad about how he acted originally and he apologized. And he like talked about something that we talk about in, in anthropology a lot about some of the inborn biases that he had that he hadn't realized that he had. And he actually became a supporter eventually way down the road. (laughs) (laughs) So he was definitely a very interesting character. He loved to filibuster and he had this little dog named Trouble and Trouble would just follow him around the Senate. 
which is, I don't know, what a wild. So the reason I was there to begin with, it wasn't that I was like particularly passionate about Senator Bird of West Virginia, but I had, at the school that I went to required everyone to intern on Capitol Hill in their junior year. It was part of like this whole, because I went to school in DC. So it wasn't like I was flying out there to do this. Like we were all, we were all local or boarding at the school. And it was all part of this like greater like thing. So our junior year, we all took American history and we all took, I don't know, American literature. So it was just like a very America centric year, our junior year. (laughs) So the reason I ended up working for Senator Bright is I have a very dear friend who worked, who was from West Virginia and she had worked for him. And she's like, listen, you should definitely apply for his internship because unlike the other ones who actually get to do stuff. That's very true. Like I had some friends who all they did all day was answer the phone at the front desk, which was such a bummer, but I got to do all sorts of things. Like I got to do research and I got to go to committee hearings and (laughs) I made a collage one time, which was pretty cool. (laughs) I don't know. And and like, everyone is super nice to me. I got to meet the Senator. When you're 16, I think you care a lot less about politics and more about not being bored. It's a pretty good first half of the life, I guess, right? Pretty good. What last, maybe that all happened in the last 10 years or something. Yeah. So I did that. I was like super, super interesting from like 14 to like, I'd say like 23 or four. And then the last like seven years, it's just been a slow slide into adulthood. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. You'll have good stories growing up for the grandkids. That's sure. I hope so. So now to to get, and not something that you have to answer, it's kind of a new question that I want to ask is, what theories of evolution do you believe? Because I know if you ask a lot of people there, almost afraid to answer that because like you were talking before, you know, you're going to get uh, shunned, I guess, in a sense, if you don't oh, yeah. <laughs> answer it to what everyone else believes. So something that you want to answer, we'll go into it. If not, that's quite all right as well. I don't know. I think that I'm, I don't think I'm a very exciting person to ask because I'm like, yeah, out of Africa, not a problem for me. <laughs> like, uh, I'm trying to think like of like controversial opinions that I might hold. I do think mismatched diseases are a thing, but I don't think anyone disagrees with that sure. anymore. I don't think. Maybe they do. I have no idea. <laughs> well, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I don't think that I have like any particularly like spicy opinions about about evolution. But I think if you were to ask someone who does study human evolution, like it's funny because like, they're like, okay, I'm going to tell you my, my, my like crazy evolutionary opinion. And it's like, I think that people evolved curved fingers, like, or I think that they evolved flat fingers, like a hundred thousand years later than people thought that they did. You know, <laughs> okay, like you hear it and you're okay, like, okay, yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and I was like, I did not realize that was controversial. Cool. <laughs> So I guess it would be more on the, uh, do you believe evolved from uh, monkeys or, uh, I mean, I guess that's. Well, we didn't really. So I taught uh, evolution and well, I taught the lab portion of intro to biological anthropology in grad school. And I did have a section where I let students ask, it was at the, towards the end of the semester, every year where I let them ask whatever they wanted to ask. Sometimes the questions upset me more because I was like, were you paying attention at all? the semester more than like, cause like, I don't care. Like you can ask me whatever you want, but I was like, <laughs> literally did you not pay attention at all? Like this, this whole semester. 
But like I got all kinds of questions during that section, including is, let me preface this by saying at the beginning of the semester, I always read them like kind of the riot act at the beginning that was like, listen, I don't care whether or not you believe in evolution, but in order to pass my class, you have to answer the questions the way that science says you have to answer them. And I will also not tolerate anyone in here spending class time arguing with me about whether or not evolution is real, because that's a waste of your classmates' time. I always had some people drop after that speech. After that one. (laughs) Sure. So by the end of the semester, I'm guessing that most of the people who are asking these questions were like genuinely curious and not like trying to get under my skin. I hope that's the case. (laughs) Right. Um, But people did ask stuff like, so if we evolved from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? And the answer to that is that we didn't really evolve from monkeys. We have, we have a common ancestor, but we split somewhere along the line. And that's why there's monkeys. And that's why there's us at the same time. It's just kind of like, uh, it's kind of like asking like, if dogs evolved from wolves, why are there still wolves? <laughs> it's because of the lineage split. And so now there's dogs and wolves. <laughs> sure. Okay, good. Yes. Stuff like that. I remember one time someone tried to explain to me about how evolution broke the laws of thermodynamics. And I still can't quite wrap my head around that one. (laughs) I wouldn't even want to consider how, uh, what? (laughs) What the heck? Yeah, I was really confused. They were like trying to tell me that like no energy was entering the system. And I was like, what about the sun? (laughs) I was very confused. I don't think that they a hundred percent understood, which is why I potentially didn't understand what their argument was. I've also had people ask me about the aquatic ape theory but they thought that that meant that we had been mermaids. So I do not ascribe to that, definitely. (laughs) What else? I've had some crazy ones. Let's go with uh, one of the other questions too is, and to be honest, the reason why I put this question in there is because I was watching Ancient Aliens and I was like, well, you know what? I'll throw that question in there. (laughs) Do you believe that there was otherworldly influence on evolution? I don't think so. Okay. And that's mostly because if you look at, The way things have evolved, this is the same, this is, I think, the same argument against intelligent design is that some of the ways that things have evolved for us do not make sense. Like there are much better, easier ways to do it. So for example, the human eye, you know that we see everything upside down and then our brain flips it back right up for us. Like that's a crazy way to do things. Why do that that way? It doesn't make sense. (laughs) There are much simpler ways to do things in order to see like there's just like a a lot of stuff that's like not great like for humans in particular the reason that we're born you know you look at other animals and they're like basically viable animals within like a week or two or like baby horses they can stand up and run within like a couple hours of being born right we're essentially born premature and that's because our brains get too big to be able to pass through the birth canal. So like we basically pass through the birth canal at the last possible moment before our heads get too big. And so we're born like essentially, essentially premature compared to other animals. Like that's not great. Like why can't we, if if there was an intelligent designer, wouldn't it make more sense to not have that happen? (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? It's stuff like that. I do. I do. Yes, absolutely. And I think that the answer to that is like original sin and like people having to women having to suffer for eating the apples through the pain of childbirth <laughs> and I don't know what and I was like well Adam ate it too <laughs> right he doesn't have to suffer through childbirth <laughs> so 
but like stuff like that. I mean, there's also kinds of stuff that you look at the human body and you're like, that's just really not great. Like, it's just not great. Like it could have been better. You know what I mean? And that's why I'm yes. like, I don't think that unless the outside influences, unless the aliens were like, you know what, we're going to tinker with this to make it slightly worse. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of the stuff about us. It's like, not, it's not that it's but one, a lot of the stuff about us is either adaptive to another time or it just isn't unadaptive enough to have been evolved out. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yes. I, yes. I'm just going to make something, make sure. your lives slightly worse. It's, I feel like that's like a, like a question. If you were like a witch, what, like, what minor curse would you gift someone with to annoy them, but not kill them for the rest of their lives? That's what the human body is. <laughs> Very good. I appreciate that. Uh, and I think I stole this next one from you. I, I do believe listening to uh, some of your podcasts, I, I believe this is a question that you ask. what book or media are you currently indulging? Oh, okay. I think I stole that from you. I believe <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do ask all the people who come on my show that. <laughs> Well, I apologize for stealing it from you. But. No, it's fine. I think that's great. What I'm currently reading, so I have this coworker, her name is Claire, and she used to work at a children's bookstore. And ever since the beginning of the pandemic, she's essentially created this like young adult literature book club at work. And so I've been like reading her recommendations, like kind of one after another. So I'm actually reading kind of a silly book. It's called Sabriel. It's by Garth Nix. And it's a definitely young adult literature and it's about a young woman who can like lay the dead to rest she's like a necromancer there's like magic and like fighting and it's it's really fun so that's what I'm reading for fun and then I am currently reading The Sports Gene by David Epstein I realized that the last time I read it I read it on Kindle and I realized that it was like missing a couple of chapters somewhere down the line. And so like I'm rereading it within the physical version <laughs> with all the chapters. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading right now. Very good. I appreciate that. And again, I apologize for stealing that from you. No, I think it's great. I wish I'm always curious to hear what other people are reading about. So I think turnabout is fair play. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Okay, so next one, we're getting kind of toward the end of things here. Are there uh, any topics that we didn't cover that you would like to now? No, no. I think you. I think you did a great job. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, uh, you know, again, like I said, I'm, I'm just. Uh, well, you'll be the fifth or sixth episode, so kind of still, still getting my feet wet in the, in the whole podcast realm of things. But uh, I'm enjoying it. That's for sure. You know, I've noticed that, that, I don't know if you edit your own or not, but my goodness, that takes up a lot of time <laughs> editing podcasts. Yeah, you get faster as you get faster as you go along, I promise. <laughs> good, good. The day that I figured out that you could delete something off of a track and like automatically move the track over as opposed to like physically moving it over, I was so mad. I'd spent like four months physically moving it over and I was like... <laughs> I got so much faster. <laughs> now, what uh, I use Hindenburg. I'm not sure which one you use. If it's I use Audition. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Which is, it's just, I have it around and I also have to use it for work. So it's just easier to keep everything kind of in the same space. Sure. Yeah. And more, you, obviously, the more you use it, the better you get at it as well. But uh, mm -hmm. very good. So then uh, a lot of times I'll ask for uh, an email as well with uh, all of your links to get a hold of you and your podcast links and anything you want me to link my community to in regards to you, uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. You can find me at 
online. I have a website. It's called anthrobiology.com. And I have a contact form on there. But if you don't want to go through the contact form, you are welcome to email me at Gabby, G-A-B-Y dot LaPera, L-A-P-E-R-A at anthrobiology.com. I think that's most of it. And then I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at anthrobiology. So if anyone wants to reach out to any of those addresses, I am very bad at checking Twitter, but I'm getting better at it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Now, and again, this is something you can email me as well, but I I like to, to, I've actually gotten a few interviews based off of recommendations from others that I've interviewed. And I don't know if there's anyone you know in particular. And again, you can email it to me uh, that you think would be interested in coming on the Neanderthal Mind. I would greatly appreciate it. So. Yeah, I have to think about that. I haven't, that's fine. I haven't really talked to anyone who does Neanderthal stuff in particular, but I have talked to quite a few people, uh, quite a few evolutionary anthropologists who would probably be great fits for your show. So if you're interested in they're they're more looking at human evolution as opposed to Neanderthals. Yeah, yeah and that's kind of what I wanted, wanted this to be. It's just I, I titled it the, the Neanderthal Mind because, you know, again, a lot of the psychology that that is in our minds today uh, was developed by our Neanderthal ancestors. So that's why it's kind of called the Neanderthal mind, but I love the evolutionary biology aspect of it. So, Yeah. So if you're interested in that, then I can definitely send you the names of some of the people that I've interviewed. Like Scott Williams, who I mentioned earlier, he's really great. He's super smart and he studies the origins of bipedalism in humans. I think he's, he's really nice. Bernard Wood might be a good one. He works at GW and he is also an evolutionary anthropologist. He's the first person that I interviewed for my show. He's just like a very kind human being in general. I'm trying to think who else. Tanya Smith, she does teeth. She might have done, I think she has done some stuff with Neanderthals actually. And she's also super sharp, super sharp, super smart. Just like really great academic. I'm trying to think. Who else I know who's done evolutionary anthropology stuff? Yeah, I'll send you an email and you could always, uh, you know, yeah, take the time to think about it and then just, uh, yeah, send me. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would think about looking at is like that book that I mentioned earlier in the show, Dan Lieberman. I actually interviewed him too. And he's all about mismatched diseases. So if that's something you're interested in, like he might be a good person to talk to. I would definitely check out his book. So like you like are like ready to talk to him because he's like, just like a fire hose of information. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. But yeah. I think he's coming out with another book. This like, it might've already come out or it's like coming out early next year. I can't exactly remember, but yeah, there's all sorts of people. And I can, if you're like, if you're like trying to find people and you're like, not sure who to talk to, like, I'm totally happy to help you like figure out who to talk to and stuff like that. I appreciate that. It's awesome. And I definitely would, you know, want to lean on you in a sense, because you've been in it a lot longer than I have. You know, you have quite a few more interviews under your belt. And uh, I would definitely lean towards you for some recommendations. And I appreciate your, your offer to do that for me. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And, uh, I mean, anytime you want to come back on the Neanderthal mind, you got my contact information, just let me know. And <laughs> I'm an open door for you. So Oh, thank you. I don't know if your listeners probably, they probably want to hear from scientists and not from me, but. (laughs) (laughs) 
well, that's okay. We'll, we'll throw a lot of things at them. And, you know, again, my listeners would hopefully have the same mindset as me. And I appreciate hearing from you. So I'm glad to hear it. Well, Gabby, again, thank you so much for taking your time out on this weekend. And uh, I appreciate it. And I look forward to hopefully sitting down with you in the future. Yeah, same. Have a great weekend and good luck with your show. <laughs> Thank you, Gab. You as well. And I will be listening to yours and following you. So <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it, cave dwellers. I know you got some enjoyment out of that episode. And don't forget to check Gabby out on anthrobiology.com. As always, join me next week when we start another two-parter with Alan Van Arsdale. Here's a little snippet of what's to come. And cave dwellers, I would love to hear from you about how you feel the podcast is going. Is it what you were expecting? Are there things I can do differently to make this any better? If I don't hear from you, I can only assume that I'm giving you what you want from the Neanderthal mind. I will take all criticism that you give and try to mold the show to your liking. But I can't promise I'll be able to do everything everyone wants me to do. So please email the show at theneanderthalmind at gmail.com and go to the somewhat of a website, theneanderthalmind.com and leave some messages. Until next time, cave dwellers. And as I said, here's a little snippet of what's to come. And there's a lot of evidence for that. For example, Denisovans have some below uh, homo erectus grade traits in their dental morphology. And uh, Homo floresiensis, a hobbit, they have a lot of uh, haveline traits that they seem to have preserved. Even though they were mixing with everybody else, they were still preserving a lot of haveline traits. And there's no true fossil Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind podcast wherever you download your podcasts. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, please recommend the Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next week, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget to leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.